0: Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we're agnostics. No, that's not what it says. We don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. In this chapter... We find ourselves in the final week of the life of Jesus. This is the final Tuesday before the Friday in which he is going to die. And from this passage all the way to chapter 23 and chapter 24 and chapter 25, Jesus is going to deal with his enemies, his critics. He's going to deal with the self-righteous, political, and religious leaders. The events all seem to take place on Tuesday from Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, and again in verse 25, verse 1, and verse 26, and verses 1 and 2. Jesus is going to deal with this self-righteousness and this unbelief in the most pointed fashion. You'll remember that at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus rides into Jerusalem in verses 1 through 11 to the shouts of Hosanna. He marches into the temple in verses 12 through 17. He overturns the money changers in verse 12. He curses the fig tree in verses 18 through 21. Jesus has exposed the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He's pointed to their inward corruption and the outward fruitlessness of their lives. And Jesus calls the religious leaders to repent, to confess their sin, to expose their sin, to throw themselves on the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And so Jesus has been pleading with the people not to reject the Father. Who has sent the Son. Because the Father and the Son are going to send the Holy Spirit. Don't reject the Father. Don't reject the Son. Don't reject the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. And the remedy for that sin. Which is the reality of who Jesus is. And so the religious leaders question Jesus' right. To do such things. So in the passage we learn several things about unbelief. Unbelief is willing to treat Jesus with treachery, with disdain, with contempt. These religious leaders aren't interested in the truth. Particularly if the truth threatens who they are what they want to do, what they have, what they think. Unbelief treats Jesus with disdain, with contempt. I grew up in a generation where we, in the 60s, placed bumper stickers on our, car, our cars. We would, we would put on the bumper sticker, Question Authority. In the 60s, we would say, don't trust anyone over 30. And then in the 70s and the 80s, we turned 30. So in the 90s, we put a new bumper sticker on our car. It said, you are the authority. And that particularly is true for the culture in which we live. In an episode of Frasier, there's a, an actor named Kelsey Grammer who plays Dr. Frasier Crane, psychiatrist. And radio talk show host. And in one episode, he says something that is so clearly wrong. And he goes through a series of denials justifying how wrong he is. And when asked to confess that, don't you understand that what you've done is wrong? He says, I have a medical degree from Harvard. When I'm right, the world makes sense. We laugh a little bit, but that's our attitude. The world makes sense when I'm right. You don't know how many people after the service will come up to me and they'll begin the conversation with, you know, I would normally agree with you. I agree with you or I disagree with you the measure of agreement or the measure of disagreement is usually rooted and grounded in something that's going on inside of their hearts because we live in a world where the world makes sense when I'm right. But I'm going to suggest to you, just for a moment, to consider a world in which Jesus is right. When Jesus says something about himself, Does he have the right? Does he have the authority? Does he have the ability to, in some way, influence your thinking and your living? And so it begins with questioning the king's authority. Look in verse 23. It says, now when he, that is Jesus, came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. You know what's interesting? We're not told what he's teaching However, in the rest of the the passage, we're going to get a parable of two sons, and we're going to get a parable of the landowner. I'm going to suggest to you that whatever Jesus was teaching at this moment, that it probably had something to do with God's plan and purpose for the people of Israel. The religious leaders are still seething and steaming Over the episode of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the shouts of Hosanna, the overturning of the tables and their lives. Because Jesus is asserting his authority and in asserting his authority, he's questioning their authority. When he overturns the tables of the money changers and he drives out the frauds and the hypocrites... Then the religious leaders come to him and they say, what gives you the right to do this, Jesus? It's a legitimate question. It's even an appropriate question. It's okay for you to ask the question, Jesus, what authority do you have in my life? What gives you the right to tell me what to say or what to think or how to respond? The religious leaders are, in effect, asking two important and appropriate questions. By what authority are you doing these things? And number two, who gave you this authority? The first question asks for justification of Christ's works. The second question asks for justification of his identity. In other words, they are asking the question, what gives you the right to say the things that you're saying? And what gives you the right to do the things that you're doing? The word authority translates an important Greek word. It's the word exousia. Now you may not be familiar with Greek words and you may not even think that it really even matters. But there's two powerful words that are normally used in the New Testament that's translated power and authority. The first one is dunamis. Dunamis is the word that speaks of intrinsic authority, raw power and ability. Dunamis is like the the ability to a phone book in half. You're strong. You, by virtue of virtual power, raw power, you get to do whatever you want. It's like the old saying, what do you say to the 800-pound gorilla who wants to do whatever the 800-pound gorilla wants to do? Go ahead. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell an 800-pound gorilla what to do. They sort of get to be in charge of their own life. The word exousia is a word that speaks of moral authority or derived authority. It sometimes translates power. Sometimes it translates authority. Let me give you an illustration. Does a police officer have the right or have the authority to pull you over? Yeah, the answer is yes. By what authority or right? It's a derived authority. We have a government, and and the government passes laws. Now, if a a police officer stands in front of a 3,000-pound vehicle and says, stop, in the name of the law, which do you think in a head-on collision is going to win, a 3,000-pound vehicle or a 180-pound police officer? The vehicle is going to win. Why in the world would a 3,000-pound vehicle stop if it has more power than the officer? And the right answer, of course, is that when you run over the officer, you're running over every officer. You're threatening all authority. And so when you threaten the police officer, you you threaten every police officer. When you threaten to break the law, you threaten to break all laws. And so the word here is that word exousia. It's derived authority. There's no exact corresponding word in either Aramaic or Hebrew. The word exousia was a word that spoke about freedom, the freedoms that are given to us by God and legal rights. So in the Bible, authority is a word that describes God's absolute power, God's sovereignty, The ultimate meaning of the word authority is, in fact, the power, the authority, the ability that derives from God himself. And so according to the Bible, the source of authority is God. No wonder Paul writes, there is no authority, same word, exousia, except it come from God, Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Unbelief will always question authority. Unbelief will say, what gives God the right to tell me what to do? What gives Jesus the right to tell me what to do? What gives my parents the right to tell me what to do? What gives the government the right to tell me what to do? Unbelief will always attack the person and the work of God. The religious leaders know that Jesus can only appeal to one of three sources. He's going to say, my authority comes from God. Or he is going to say, my authority comes from myself. Or he is going to say, my authority comes from some human or divine authority outside myself. The religious leaders are hoping that he'll say that his authority comes from God. Because that way they can ask him for a miracle and say, by what sign are you proving whatever it is that you have to say about yourself? If he says, my authority comes from myself, then he's hoping that the vast majority of the Jewish people are going to dismiss him as a fraud and a lunatic. Now you have to understand something. The religious leaders have every right to question the authority of Jesus. Jesus himself said, they sit in the seat of Moses. He said, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. And so, because they sat in the seat of Moses... They had a responsibility to examine his claims, to evaluate his words, to weigh his deeds, to evaluate his character. And so the word authority, even for some of you right at this very moment, sort of gives you the creeps. The moment you hear the word authority, a little chill goes up and down your spine, and for good reason. Lord John Acton wrote, no authority has the power to impose error. And if it resists the truth, the truth must be upheld until it is admitted. We live in a culture and a society where we understand that authority can be abused. Now again, because some of us believe in the authority of the Bible or the authority of God, We understand that people can misunderstand the Bible and they can misunderstand God or they can provoke, pervert, and distort and twist the character of God or the word of God. But there is something inside of us that knows that legitimate authority isn't the authority to do harm, to do evil, to do wickedness. No authority has the power to impose error. God-centered authority affirms truth, refutes error, resists error. Self-centered authority affirms, I know what's best for me. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, you'll read this reoccurring rendition that takes place in the book of Judges. It says, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When there is no king, when there is no authority, then each and every person begins to take on some semblance of authority for themselves. But we know that authority, God given authority, God revealed authority, is a part of what the Bible says. It's a part of every home and every church and every government. God gave authority to, for human beings to exercise friendship and relationship in the home, in the church, and in government. Authority is the right and the power to compel behavior. In the Bible, authority is a word, again, that describes God's freedom to act. And so the Bible teaches that Jesus has authority over all flesh. In the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh. Same word. That he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus claims to have authority over all of humanity, saved and unsaved alike. Jesus claims to have authority to give people eternal life who don't have it. Jesus declares that he has the authority to forgive sin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. Jesus gives authority to those who receive him, according to John chapter 1, verse 12, to become the children of God. Jesus gives his disciples authority in the New Testament over disease and over demons while he's on the earth in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And remember, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. According to the New Testament, Jesus spoke with authority. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, For by him all things were created, speaking of Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. Things that are visible and things that are invisible. It says whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him. According to Paul, Jesus is the source of authority. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, Jesus is equal to God and is in fact God, John 10 30. He not only reflects God, but he reveals God to us in John 1.18. Jesus comes from heaven. Jesus is holy. Jesus, according to the New Testament, has both the right and the responsibility to judge the world. He is the supreme being over the world. And in one of the great ironies of existence... The believer under the authority of Jesus is given permission to exercise authority. Jesus in Mark chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 appoints 12 that they might be with him. And then he sends them to preach and to have power, same word, exousia, to heal sickness, to cast out demons, power over darkness, then power to become the children of God. And so... The Bible says that in the, according to the New Testament, I have authority to be able to tell you that God loves you. That, that God sent Jesus, his son, into the world. That God has the ability in Christ to call you and forgive you. The church and the Christian possess genuine authority. Only if they serve the mission of Jesus and embrace the gospel of Jesus and are faithful to Jesus in the building up of the church. And so we accept the authority of the scriptures by faith. And we accept the authority of what the scriptures have to say about Jesus. And this Prompts love and obedience to Jesus because the scriptures invite us to love and obey Jesus. Now think about what's going on. The religious leaders question the authority of Jesus. Do you know why? Because they want to know the truth about his authority? No. It's so that they can gather evidence against him in order to bring an accusation against him. In other words, they're not looking at Jesus as a reason to find out the truth. They're looking at Jesus as a reason to continue to live their life in unbelief, in rebellion, in disobedience. And so the king's question concerning authority, he turns it on its head. Look what it says. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now, I want to pause for just a moment. This is one of the reasons why I'm not the Lord and I wouldn't be a good Lord at all. Because if I was Jesus at this point, I would turn them all into a flock of geese. (laughs) Or I would turn them into a herd of swine or cockroaches. You ask me what gives you... I would have said, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to tell you. I'm the second person of the Trinity. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. Of all things visible and invisible, You look around you. Everything that you see, I made it. And then I would turn them back and I would go, are you convinced? If If you said... Burnt toast. And then they're burnt toast, and then you go back to normal. And then they're back to normal, wouldn't you go, okay, we're pretty much convinced. But you know what's interesting? Jesus is going to appeal, think for just a moment, to what they care about reason and experience. Jesus doesn't use a crass Display of supernatural power in order to affirm his position. The question that Jesus asked is going to reveal the condition of the religious leaders' hearts. Why? Because the unbeliever, the skeptic, has no problem questioning the person in the work of Jesus. But then they get quite annoyed when Jesus insists on asking them a few questions. Jesus is basically saying, okay, since we're on the subject of authority, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? So why do you suppose Jesus brings up the ministry of John the Baptist? Because Jesus knows that the religious leader's attitude towards John is going to reveal their attitude towards him jesus is in effect suggesting that if the source of john's ministry and the source of his own ministry if they share a common authority you should be able to figure it out think about what jesus is saying if you love the ministry of john you're going to love the ministry of jesus well why if you love the ministry of John, you're going to recognize something. Remember, according to the book of Isaiah, he's the forerunner. He was predicted according to prophecy. He was the one who would be sent by God because John's message was a message, remember, of repentance and baptism. John's message was a message that said, will you please turn from your sin?" Will you turn back to God? Will you prepare your hearts to receive the Savior that God has planned from eternity past? Do you remember John's message of repentance and baptism? Do you remember John's message? Remember he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember John's message? It says, And I saw and bore record that this is the Son of God. John's message is that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah. You'll remember when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he says, I'm going to be baptized. And John says, this is all wrong. You shouldn't be baptized. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, let's do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. If John's ministry is from heaven, then they have to concede that Jesus' ministry is from heaven. And this is why it's so important for you. If you ask the question, the ministry of Moses, was it from God or from men? Did Moses just make up the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Is the Bible some fantastic fabrication? The question that Jesus asks the religious leaders calls for either a confession or a denial. They're going to do one or the other. Why? Because they have to come to grips. The same is true today certain questions force a confession or a denial. Was the ministry of John the Baptist from heaven or from men? If John's ministry is from heaven, then Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who is greater. Jesus is the one who must increase as John decreases. If John's ministry is from men, If John's ministry is a self-fabricated ministry, if John just woke up one morning and he said, you know what, I'm going to decide to grow my hair out, I'm going to grow my beard out, I'm going to wear camel skin and eat locusts, and I'm going to let the whole world think I'm a crazy dude, then how do you explain the power and the presence of God? How do you explain Tens of thousands of people flocking to hear him. How do you explain tens of thousands of people turning from their sin weeping in repentance and broken heartedness understanding that they are sinners and that the only solution to the problem of their sin is going to come if God himself makes a provision. How in the world do you explain the power of God and the presence of God and the changed lives and his pointing to Jesus? How do we explain the willingness of Jesus to be baptized him by him. Now think for a moment, did John in some, again, some self-directed way decide for himself, I'm going to be the forerunner of Jesus? Does he make the whole thing up in his mind? In Luke's gospel, chapter 7, verse 29, it says, quote, and when all the people heard him speaking of John the Baptist, Even the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. In other words, in Luke's gospel it says, When tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes heard the message of John the Baptist, Please turn from your sin. Please, please stop going in the direction of rebellion and disobedience towards God. Broken hearted people heard the message and responded. Throughout the New Testament the questions of Jesus. Force. Confession. Or denial. In Mark 8.27 you'll remember Jesus when he's speaking to his own disciples at Caesarea. He says to them, who do men say that I am? It's okay for you to ask that question. Who are you? The consequences of willful unbelief, look what it says, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, well, look, if we say from heaven, he's going to say to us, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, you know, someone once said, Unbelief is not the cause of sin. Sin is the cause of unbelief. The question of Jesus places the religious leaders on the horns of a dilemma. The religious leaders are hypocrites and they're cowards. And the question reveals their hypocrisy and their cowardice. They're hypocrites because they can't say that John's message and ministry is from heaven because it would place them in the uncomfortable position of inconsistency. He, they're exactly right. If we say from heaven, then they're, then they're, they're going to say, well, why didn't you believe them? Just like if you say the ministry of Jesus. Is it from heaven or is it from men? And the child who dutifully goes to church with his parents. Or the husband who dutifully goes to church with his wife. If you say, well, if I say from heaven, then they're going to say, then why didn't you believe it? Because the truth is there are people who will show up at church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but they don't even for a moment, they don't even for a moment believe that the Bible is true. They don't even for a moment believe that Jesus is the Lord. They don't even for a moment believe that he died on the cross for their sins and they rose from the dead. They just go through The motions because people in their family see him as a prophet. And so here they are, religious hypocrites and religious cowards. Why are they cowards? The religious leaders fear the multitude. They fear the popular opinion because the popular opinion was that John was received as a prophet because there was no real good explanation for his life and for his ministry. The religious leaders remain strangely silent over the arrest and the execution of John by Herod. If they accepted John's authority, then they would have to accept John's statements. And if they accepted John's statements about God, then they would also have to accept John's statement about Jesus, and they're not willing to do it. And in verse 27, the Greek text reads, Oik, oi de men. It translates, we don't know. But even in the text, it seems to reek not of real ignorance. This is a willful ignorance. This is a deliberate ignorance. This is a deliberate lie. It's like when your parents catch you. Did you do this? Or how do you explain what it is that you're doing? I don't know. What, what's going on? I don't know. Sure you know. You're just trying to figure out a way to get out of it. Now I want you to know what unbelief does. Unbelief brings the silence of Jesus. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Because these are people who aren't interested in the truth. They're not interested in integrity. They're not interested in honesty. They're not interested in a real evaluation. It becomes sort of the dilemma that we face as Christians as we're talking with our loved ones and our family and our friends. Are you a believer? I'm an agnostic. You know, agnostic means that you don't have enough information to make a right decision or a wrong decision. You say you're an agnostic about God or you're an agnostic about Jesus, but just for a moment, tell me what you are certain about. Are you certain that there's something rather than nothing? Are you certain that you're real? Are you certain of the world in which you live? Are you certain about anything? Tell me if you're certain about anything. So how does Jesus honor unbelief? With judgment. And the first judgment is silence. And you know that it is a terrible judgment when Jesus stops talking and refuses to say, in Luke chapter 16 verse 31 in the parable of Lazarus or in the in the in the story of the rich man and Lazarus when when the rich man goes to a place of punishment and Lazarus goes to a place of reward and and the rich man begs Abraham to send someone to speak to his lost brothers Jesus has Abraham saying in Luke 16, 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if a person rises from the dead. Jesus has Abraham saying, they have Moses, but, but Lord, they don't believe Moses. They have the prophets, but Lord, they don't believe the prophets. Surely if someone came back to life, surely if someone came back from the dead, him they would believe. By the way, it's Tuesday. On Friday, Jesus is going to be crucified. On Sunday, he's going to come back to life. Are there people, unbelievers and make believers who will remain in their sin in their rebellion the answer is yes you see unbelief isn't concerned about the evidence unbelief isn't convinced or persuaded by the truth this is not about i won't believe it's about or i can't believe this is about i won't believe clearly you're not interested And so Jesus says, clearly, because of your cowardice and your hypocrisy, it seems clear to me that you're not interested because unbelief won't be persuaded by the truth. When the sins of unbelief are pointed out, people retaliate. They sometimes become mean. The unbeliever will at first denounce and then attempt to discredit and then sometimes persecute. The question of Jesus and the answer of the religious leaders again reveals several things. Number one, the religious leaders are compelled to admit to an utter lack of discernment in regards to John the Baptist's ministry. Number two, the religious leaders are convinced And convicted of guilt because they reject the testimony of the Baptists concerning the work in the ministry of Jesus. And number three, the religious leaders expose their utter hypocrisy and cowardice. And therefore their incompetence to occupy the position of authority in the life of the people of Israel. And the same is true of every single so-called religious leader who says to you, you know what, you can't trust the Bible. You can't believe the Bible. You can't trust what the Bible says about Jesus. I'm calling on every fraud and every phony Christian leader to quit their job and go sell shoes or believe that what the Bible says is true. Do you think they'll hear my voice and they'll go, oh, Gino's right. You know, we think that this is some sort of big scam anyway. But you know, I went to school for four years and then I went to graduate school for another four years and now I've been in the ministry for 20 years but I don't believe that the Bible is true and I don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus and I don't believe that if I preach the gospel, people will actually get saved, that they'll experience forgiveness and hope because they've given up on the gospel but I'm not going to give up on the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. What happens when unbelief bears its bitter fruit? Hypocrisy becomes a part of your life. Cowardice becomes a part of your life. And you will deliberately, deliberately seek to kill Jesus. No wonder Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, whoever therefore is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of of his Father and his holy angels. I'm not prepared to admit that I'm a Christian. Well, then Jesus probably isn't prepared to admit that he knows you. I'm not prepared to know him and love him and serve him and believe him. I get it the religious leaders had made their decision about Jesus. They rejected John. And they rejected John's message. So it makes perfect sense that they would reject Jesus and reject his message. Their plan? To kill Jesus. Israel had a long history of rejecting God's prophets. And that was the point that Jesus is going to make in the very parable that follows in our text. Every thoughtful person has to be prepared to answer the question that Jesus asks. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? We could just as easily say, the ministry of Moses, was it from heaven or was it from men? The ministry of Isaiah, was it from heaven or was it from men? The ministry of Daniel the prophet, was it from heaven or was it from men? The unfolding testimony of God's plans and purposes in the life of humanity, was it from heaven or was it from man? The ministry of Jesus, was it from heaven or is it the wishful Thinking of misguided people desperate for answers to their condition. The easiest thing that the hypocrite and the coward can say is, I don't know. What would you be willing to accept as evidence? What evidence would you entertain that would cause you to believe that what Jesus says is true? Jesus knew that human beings loved sin, and they love it so much that they don't want to give it up. We think that we can control our sin, we think that we can control its consequences, we think that we can be in charge. We think that the world is a better place because of the choices that we make based on human reason and human experience. But hypocrisy and cowardice causes some people to remain silent about what they really think. The unbeliever finds human reason and human experience the base of all authority. And so the Bible comes charging in, confronting us at the most deep level. Causing us to ask and answer the question, what gives Jesus the right To say the things that he says. What gives Jesus the right. To do the things that he does. And again we're reminded of what he himself said. All authority. Is given to me. In heaven. And on earth. We have been given. Authority by Jesus to say the truth about what Jesus says about himself, about the sinful condition of humanity, and the solution that the gospel offers, that if we will repent of our sin, if we'll turn from our sin, if we'll embrace the gift that God has given to us in the person of Jesus, and trust him completely, that we can be saved. But if for some reason... You ask the question. Jesus, who are you? And what do you want? And the answer is silence. It isn't because Jesus hasn't spoken on the subject. It's because your heart has already spoken on the subject. Are you going to love him and trust him and believe him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, again, all authority, every victory is yours. Lord, unbelief will almost invariably cause us to cry out. The only thing that really matters is what I think and my own experience. And Heavenly Father, I pray that a person's reason and a person's experience would be informed by the revelation that's been given to us by the word of God. That a real God sent his real son into the world so that we could be saved. That Father, you've sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but so that we would hear, understand, believe, experience forgiveness and hope And then be able to walk into a future that's that's true. And so again, Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes and open up our ears. And help us to understand what it means to know you and to love you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.